But it's great to, to be here with you this morning, and as Pastor mentioned, I'm both a, a pastor and an attorney, so people ask me all the time how I can serve God and the devil all at the same time. And I tell them, look, it, it's only 99% of attorneys that give the rest a bad name. I know it's early, all right? And if you are an attorney, you're in, you're in the 1%, okay? So if, I would like to turn your attention to Philippians chapter number 1, verse 27. We'll, we'll go through Romans 13, but I wanted to point out another verse. Uh, this verse written by the Apostle Paul, who was a Roman citizen. He had Roman civitas. At the writing of this verse, he was in Roman chains. He's writing to a group of Greek Christians under Roman domination. So kind of in summary, the Apostle Paul, a Roman citizen in chains, to Greek Christians under Roman domination. Philippians 1.27, he says, Only let your conversation or your citizenship be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. For whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That word conversation or citizenship, the Greek word is polytuimai. It literally means to behave as a citizen or how you do life in your city. So Paul says, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel. And that's our topic for this morning. Now I'm Enjoying being an attorney, it's a, a bit of an adventure, but I have to admit to you that I, I almost laughed while being sworn in to practice law in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Now, there was nothing overtly funny about the, the setting. Uh, it was this oak-adorned room. There's the chief justice in his black robe, and um, I, I was just sitting there trying to keep a straight face because I knew there was a particular part of the oath coming up, and it was this. I have to, to swear that I have not fought a duel with deadly weapons within this state and we're out of it. Nor have I accepted a uh, challenge to fight a duel, nor have I acted as a second in carrying a challenge, so help me God. So, uh, there, there are things that I wrestle with in the Christian life, but I, I've just never wrestled with kind of lining up back to back with a foe and then counting off a couple of paces, trusting them not to get it wrong. Oh, that was five paces, not four? Oh, well, my bad, okay. Uh, and so I've just never wrestled with that. And, and also, my friends, who've asked me a lot of weird things, I've just never had anybody say, hey, Josh, I'm dueling that dishonorable scoundrel down by the steamboat landing tomorrow. Will you be my second? So it begs the question, you know, why in the world is this in the Kentucky Constitution? Well, it's there because dueling, which started in Europe as a way to solve kind of romantic feuds, developed in the United States as a way to solve political differences. If you remember, Andrew, or Alexander Hamilton died in a duel. And so the good people of Kentucky decided that after a period of time that dueling, no matter how, well, quote-unquote, gentlemanly, is just plain dumb, okay? And we're just going to stop it, all right? And so as I reflected on that, it reminded me that sometimes in our lives, we put really important things, really important parts of our lives on autopilot. But we don't stop to think, well, how should I order my life? How would God have me order this area of my life? And I believe that Christian citizenship is one of those areas where if we're not careful, we just kind of do politics like everyone else rather than following the way of Jesus. So here's the big idea for this morning. As Christians, we are called to follow Jesus in every area of our lives, including our role as citizen. And, and here's the, the billion-dollar question. That's a million-dollar question adjusted for inflation, all right? Um, exactly how are we supposed to do that now in an increasingly polarized and plural society? Well, here's how. I want to go through four Dave Ramsey-like steps of how we can follow Jesus in this area. The pastor mentioned the Daniel Initiative. 
And I've been privileged to work with pastors all over the state, connecting them with their elected officials. Over the last two sessions, we've had over 120 of those types of meetings. Now, I, I mentioned kind of my work because many of you could teach me how to follow Jesus in, in your area of influence, whether that's as a teacher, a business leader, maybe you're, you're in the healthcare industry. You could teach me how to follow Jesus in that area. This is where God has called me, and I'm doing my very best to exercise a citizenship that is worthy of the gospel. So I want to pass along what I've, I've learned and what I continue to learn in this space. So let's jump right in. Step number one, and these four steps will spell good, as in a good citizen. First, we should go over or review our role as citizen in light of Scripture. So again, forget, I mean, social media, the news, the parties, your uh, political science textbook, or hold, hold all that for a second. What does God say about this area of our lives? And as I dive in, it's important that we're kind of mindful of our culture, you know, the public square, as we experience it as American Christians. And so I'm going to try to grind down the problems in the public square to kind of one big thought, and it's this, that most of the controversies in our society can be explained by differing views of the word freedom. And I know that the series here on Romans, there's been a lot of discussion of, of that word freedom and finding freedom in Christ. So a biblical view of freedom, as you've studied, and even the, the view of freedom set out by the American founders was what I might call an ordered liberty. It was a freedom to build a society, to build a life according to God's good design. But over time, what's happened is that the view of freedom changed from an ordered liberty to what I might term an open license. This is a freedom from God's authority to build a life according to your own design, to build a society according to your own design. There's this pretty famous uh, Norwegian philosopher queen. You may know her, Queen Elsa from Frozen. What'd she say? No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. All right, so you can sense that differing view of freedom. So in some ways, we say we're one nation under God, but in a sense, we're becoming one nation over God in that we're over his guidance and authority. So let me test this real quick, try to prove what I'm saying. What is the most controversial, or what are the most controversial issues in our society? And I'm saying this from a very objective perspective. I think if you asked this question here, or you asked it at the state house or at a secular college campus, it would probably be the issues of abortion and LGBTQ rights. Can we at least all agree that it's controversial, okay? Well, if you look at the very, kind of the, the base of that, what is that disagreement really all about? What is the mantra of the pro-choice pro -choice movement? My body, my choice. Isn't it that second view of freedom? I get to make the rules. I get to tell you what I believe. And then when it comes to LGBTQ rights, what's the mantra? I get to define my sexuality. You have to recognize it and even celebrate it. So though those are hot-button issues, if you really look at kind of the foundational issue, it's really a worldview conflict in between two views of freedom. So as we understand, that's kind of the playing field. That's the, the public square that we go uh, to engage. A couple of thoughts. To define the word, what is a gospel-centered citizen? You saw that at the title. I would define a gospel-centered citizen as a Christian that when they step into public life, they do their best to manage the tensions among these three principles. We are Christians, we are Caesar, and we are citizens. Let's dig into that a bit. 
the famous verse, verse Matthew twenty two twenty one. Jesus says, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and render unto God the things that are God's. It's a very famous verse. It's important, though, to note what Jesus was looking at. He was looking at a coin called the denarius, which was the Roman coin of the period. And on the front of that coin was the inscription, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. This was a claim to political authority. But on the back of the coin was an image of Caesar's mother, depicted as a goddess with the inscription, highest priest. So whereas the front of the coin was a claim for political, basic allegiance, uh, respect, the back of the coin was a claim for spiritual worship. If you remember, the emperor of Rome was a quote-unquote God king. He was both king, but he was also supposed to have deity. And so Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, to God what is God's. This is incredibly profound. So just a few thoughts kind of taken from what Jesus said in that verse. If you think about the front side of the coin, or Caesar, government, what is God saying about government? A couple thoughts. Government is God's idea. We see it there in chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So government wasn't the idea of some secular philosopher. It was God's idea. And then government is supposed to guard good works. If government is one of the three key institutions that God created, family, church, state, what is government's biblical purpose? What's well, twofold? It is to punish evil and promote good. We see that in Romans 13, also 1 Peter 2. Verse 4 says, He, the, the minister of government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. So that's the purpose of government. Now, if you kind of, in a sense, mentally flip the coin over, what is Jesus saying? He's talking about government, but it's obvious from this statement that government is not God, right? He just said that government was something brought about by God, but government isn't God. And there's another kind of corollary from this, and that if government's not God, then politics isn't religion. And in our society, as we've secularized, people used to find community and purpose and meaning in the church. But now, where do they find that purpose and meaning and legacy? They find it in politics. They're trying to work out their salvation at the ballot box. And though I, enga- I encourage Christians, be engaged, but don't find your identity there. And I think this is one reason why we can no longer really have discussions. We have arguments. Because if you disagree with my political viewpoint, well, you've committed heresy. You're, you're committing blasphemy. And so it's clear that government's not God, but also that, uh, that, that government will go away. Jesus is saying, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, Caesar, he, he gets our respect and general civil obedience. But we know the government will go away. And what does God deserve from us? Our ultimate allegiance and worship. I love the verse Philippians 2.10. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is life coach. No, what does it say? Lord. Have you stopped and thought about the political implications of that verse? I mean, what kind of Lord is he? He's king of kings, and he's Lord of lords. And one day he's going to return with a host of heaven behind him to end evil, make all things new, and set up a kingdom that will never end. We worship that king and that Lord 
And so Jesus, as he's looking at this coin, I believe he's saying, okay, here's what Caesar gets. General civic obedience and respect. What does God get? Your ultimate allegiance and worship. And then if you'd kind of flip the coin and look at the side, like how are these two institutions post, are supposed to interact? Well, if government's purpose is to punish evil and promote good, and we're trying to, again, just go back to brash tax, the, the basics here. Government's supposed to punish evil and promote good. Whose version of good and evil is government supposed to punish and promote? Well, since we're talking about the Bible, God's, okay? God's version of those. The, the church is supposed to provide moral wisdom and guidance to the state as it punishes evil and promotes good. I love the way that Martin Luther King Jr. put it. He said, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. So I'm always trying to come up with ways to illustrate biblical truth and, and remember them. And so here we have a, a sword. This is a, a Roman gladius. And for churches that have security teams, I'm like, it's a prop. Okay, don't tackle me in the middle, <laughs> middle of the service. All right, so in Scripture, the state is often exemplified by a sword. Is it not? Romans 13. And then in Scripture, how is the church exemplified? By a light, Right? And so, state's responsibility, punish evil, promote good. Church's responsibility, fulfill the Great Commission, do good works that point to Jesus. Well, as humans, we sometimes get things mixed up, don't we? And so, those that control the state over the centuries, you know, controlling people would be a lot easier if we could kind of come over here and get the spiritual influence of the church. I mean, isn't it easier to get people to do things and not do things if you can threaten their head and their soul, Okay. <laughs> If you think about the, the trial of Martin Luther, the famous one at the Diet of Worms, was that presided over by the Pope? Nope, it was Henry V, the Holy Roman Emperor. And then over on the church side, you know, making disciples is hard work. And so it'd be a lot easier if we could come over here and get the state sword and say things like, convert or die, all right? And that's how you build it. So what do you get if you put together a light and a sword? Well, you get a light saber, all right, a weapon of terrifying power, and one that I'm too clumsy to wield, okay, but uh, this is the tyrant's weapon of choice, and you can see it's like down through the ages where this has gotten mixed up, and so as we think about kind of the side of the coin, as those two institutions interact, the church is to be a moral guide to the state, and so I've spent a lot of times there, we are Christians, that, that has to be something we're constantly mindful of. The next thing I'd mention is that we are Caesar. Every Christian across the world would have to apply these truths to their form of government. So as American Christians, what do these principles mean? So I, you can skip your high school civics class, forget all that. I'm going to apply, you know, here's American government in a sentence. We live in a republic that makes you royal and assumes you're righteous. A republic, we, we elect our elected officials that makes you royal. Here's the question. In Scripture, Jesus talks about render to Caesar. Well, who was Caesar? The person with ultimate authority in the Roman system. Who has ultimate authority in the American system? Is it the president? Is it Congress? Supreme Court? No. What does the Constitution say? We the people. And so in a sense, we are citizen sovereigns. We have authority and therefore responsibility in our system. And then it assumes that you're righteous. This may sound controversial, but if you have a form of government designed around self-government, what does it require? 
self-control. And the founders knew this. And I love the United States, and I love technology, and sometimes that brings together some interesting things like this particular dilemma, that with the rise of self-driving trucks, it's only a matter of time until there's a country song where the guy's truck leaves him, okay? It's, so if you're buying a Tesla, just be mindful. It may get sentimental and leave you, okay? So love the U.S. Back to applying this to the United States. We live in a republic that makes you royal and assumes you're righteous. So in a sense, we are Caesar. We have authority and therefore responsibility. Lastly, I would argue that we are citizens. We should care for the good of all people and not just ourselves. I love this example. This, this place is just a couple miles from my house. It's called the Eleutherian College. This is an example of not just fellow Christians, but fellow Hoosier Christians down through the ages that have done this well. This college was started, the first college in Indiana, to admit students regardless of race, ethnicity, or gender. But it was actually a cover for the Underground Railroad. As slaves escaped from the South, they were able to enroll, and they could avoid the hunters that were coming after these slaves. One of the trustees, all the trustees were pastors, was actually arrested for doing this. His case was eventually dropped. And so I thought this is just one great example of fellow Hoosier Christians trying to navigate these things. So... Again, a gospel-centered citizen, perhaps the most important thing that I could encourage you to think about today, is a Christian that says, I'm a Christian first. My ultimate allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. I am Caesar. I have authority, therefore responsibility, and then I am a citizen. I wanted to spend most of my time there this morning because I think that's the most important thing that we can talk about today. Now I'm going to finish up with some really, I hope, practical ideas. Step number two, offer prayer for and build relationships with government officials. So again, if you're just looking at scripture, all right, what, what are the things I'm supposed to check off? If I'm supposed to be a good husband, yeah, a good teacher, what are the things I need to do as a Christian? Well, it's very obvious from scripture, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, 3 and 4, that we are to pray for all that are in authority. Now, this was written in the context of Nero, who killed Christians, his political opponents, and his own mom. Like, who does that, okay? Um, but that's who, that's who they're talking about. You're supposed to pray for them. And so as Pastor mentioned, we've been able to connect with, with leaders, share some encouragement with them, and pray with them. A couple examples. Uh, Senator Young, during COVID-19, we were able to gather about 40 pastors around him. Here's a group of pastors from Fort Wayne that, that came down to, to pray. And then we had a group that's been praying with A.G. Rokita, um, and here's a, a picture of that, that full group. Again, meeting with them, sharing scripture, saying, how can we help in the problems in your district, or area of responsibility, but then how can we pray for you? Now, again, it's a little hard to pray for someone if you don't know who they are. And so, again, just in the interest of, here's something really simple. You can just go to Google, type in Indiana Secretary of State, who are your elected officials, you type in the address, and it pulls up, and what I love about this particular tool, everyone from the President of the United States to your local school board. There's your prayer list. So if you don't do anything else from today, go, please, two minutes, you can go do that. Just typing in the address of the church here, you have Representative Tony Cook, Senator Travis Holdman at the state level, Congressman or Congresswoman Victoria Sparks. So those, even if you're just praying for the mayor, your state rep, your state senator, and your congressman, congresswoman, there at least is a place to start. So we should offer prayer for them. Now, you didn't know there was going to be a quick quiz, um, or there's going to be a quiz here today, but a couple questions for you, and you can answer them as, you know, kind of true or false here. 
in your first interaction with elected officials, and you just choose one, first thing, scream at them while denouncing their heathen ways. All right, that's option one. Option two, ask them for special privileges, like a street named after your dearly departed pet parakeet. And if that was a dog, it'd be too close. And then ask how you can pray and help. And so, as you can see, we are recommending the third one. All right, so that's step number two, praying for them, getting to know them. And then the next one just kind of follows from that, the speed of relationships, offer solutions, and partner with government to solve key problems. Back to state's role, punish evil, promote good, church's role, make disciples, and do good works to point to Jesus. Those two institutions should actually be partners, not opponents. Now, that's complicated for sure, but that's the way that God set it up. So when I asked Governor Holcomb, what are some things the church can help with? He racked off three things real quick. Foster care, the drug crisis, recidivism, helping people come out of jail, back into, into life. And so we've been working on those three issues. We've been working with DCS Director Stigden, who's a fellow believer. She's encouraged the church to go upstream with DCS to keep kids out of foster care. We've also been working with the Attorney General. We presented at his annual drug symposium. And here's the group that, that presented there. Working with churches and ministries that are helping people come out of drug addiction. Now, this next picture is an example of what the church brings to the table in these conversations. This is from a ministry up towards Lafayette. Um, this, this particular couple had both been addicted to drugs, in jail, lost their kids, both came to Christ in these programs. At this particular celebration, they were back together, had their kids. And I know this is a sophisticated bunch, but if you're familiar with the term like baby daddy, uh, baby mama, all right? So at the celebration, he was telling a story. He had had an affair um, and he called this lady his baby mama. He had just led her to Christ and baptized her the week before. So you see, what we're able to share with elected officials is you can't legislate hope. You can't legislate purpose. That's what Jesus brings. It brings transformation. And that's what we're able to bring. There's also a, a huge discussion of mental health this last session. Onto this next slide. You may not be able to see it, but the, there was one group whose mental health in 2020 was up by four points. Everyone else, pff, down. And those were people that attended in-person religious services on a weekly basis. So we're able to share with elected officials, hey, we know of an institution that's been around for a couple thousand years that specializes in providing support and help to others. And so where has God put you? What's the natural bridge for you to be working in this community? I often say most Christians have their greatest impact in their own zip code. So how can you be impacting this community through your church? I love all the different things that are going on on here. This all moves to step number four. And that is, this kind of moves at the speed of relationship. You can see these kind of build on one another. And then step number four is to do the hard work of Christian citizenship in the public square. Now, people are generally nice. Um, but then when you start talking about politics, they're kind of like, Argh. so it's kind of like this cat, which goes from like, Animal to alien, all right? And some of you are like, how dare you offend my cat? All right, well, here's a dog, just equal opportunity offender. I had a dog that was like this. I'm like, what happened to you, man? All right, and so, so that's us. Like, everybody's good and nice, and then we start talking about politics. Okay, and it is important, but that's just a part of American public life right now. So as I was praying about what are the issues that Christians should care about in the public square, God brought me to kind of this star, and of course, 55-pointed stars in the American flag. 
But in Scripture, stars generally and often point to Jesus, the star of Bethlehem, etc. And so the very center of our public witness, things we should care about, is the Imago Dei. And, and lawyers figured out a long time ago, if you say something in Latin, it just sounds cooler, okay? But the Imago Dei, the fact that we're all created in God's image. All right? and, and from that truth come these five key issues. First of all, the sanctity of life, ethnic unity and justice, the Matthew 25 issues, caring for the poor, the prisoner, and the immigrant, the biblical sexual ethic, and then religious liberty for all people, not just Christian favoritism, and so as you can see, some of these issues sound a little conservative. Some of them sound a bit liberal. And I'm not using this as a moral equivalency here. I'm just saying these sound different, but they're all biblical, aren't they? And Christians may disagree in good conscience on exactly how to apply these principles in public life, but I believe this is a strong biblical foundation that we should pursue. And in this last session, we... we Sent out an email to pastors. Here are five of the bills that we're, we're looking at these five particular issues. Just a couple of examples. And I see engagement in the public square as an expression of love for our neighbors. And so in this particular picture, a couple of pastors that were up, we promoted a bill that treated the church as essential, saying that if, if there are public health crises in the future, that that the, the state would not shut down in-person worship. They would treat the church as an equal and pure institution, and each church would be able to make that determination. But that things like Christian schools and pregnancy care centers would be treated as essential. And then another uh, just really fun opportunity this last session is that there is a large Burmese contingent of Christians that have come over from Burma, and they're buying up properties, uh, buying up churches as their churches grow. But they didn't know that they had to file these applications for tax exemption. Many of their elders don't speak English. And so a couple years went past, and the assessor hit a church with a $63,000 tax bill. And so the church wasn't sure what to do, and there really weren't very many appeal options. And, and many of these individuals came from Burma fleeing political persecution. We just thought, this is not the way that we should be treating our neighbors. So this next slide is a picture of uh, Pastor Meng, one of the key pastors there. And so we're able to promote some legislation that says when, when one church sells to another, there's just a checkbox there unless the assessor thinks that there's fraud. And so sometimes politics is all like, ah, it's all, it's, it's terrible. But it's actually an opportunity for us to serve our neighbors. So if we were to practice this, all right, this kind of gospel-centered citizenship, how would we do it? Here's a picture of the congregation. And then on to the practice. The first place that we practice our citizenship in public life is actually social media. And I sometimes chuckle at, at Christians. It's like 9 a.m., hey, my church is having this service. Everyone's welcome. And then at 9.03 a.m., they're calling somebody either a libtard or a right-wing Nazi, okay? And hey, I'm all for being engaged, and I love people that have opinions. But remember, the big point of today is that our, our following of Jesus, our, our, the fact that we're a disciple of Jesus is not here and then our politics over here, which doesn't come over to, under the sovereignty of this, this particular teaching in our lives. No, it's all supposed to be done to the glory of God. And I think sometimes, we, again, we lose sight of that. So when we step into the public square, even on social media, we should keep this in mind. Certainly, we should engage in public policy as an expression of love for our neighbors. And then voting. 
as I've shared with you today, of course we should apply biblical principles in choosing the leaders that are going to, to lead our communities and our country forward. And then God may call some of you to run for public office, to be a minister for our good in that particular sphere. And so again, much of what I've shared today is kind of 101. But I wanted to come back to the basics. And happy to talk further about these things that you can, you can dig into these principles but I wanted to give you, again, some just Dave Ramsey-like steps of how to engage this particular role of your life, this area of your life. So you can see it up there. Go over, review your role as citizen. Offer prayer for, build relationships with public officials. Offer solutions. Partner with government to solve key problems. And then do the hard work of Christian citizenship. I often ask audiences to think about the year 2050. And no matter how old we are, we have the opportunity to impact what America looks like in 2050. And let me ask you, what do you think our country will look like in about 30 years? And it's certainly easy to be negative here, to think, well, the, the light of liberty is going to slowly dim and go out, Drim, uh, drowned by neglect, greed, division. But what if there was a different story? for the United States, a different story for our citizenship. And if you haven't you know, keyed in to anything else today, please get this, please get this. I believe that we as American Christians need to change our story about citizenship. We're creatures of narrative, aren't we? Like we measure our life by how well we're doing according to a chosen like identity. So maybe you're a mom, so how are the kids doing? You're a business owner, how are we doing? Ministry, it's how, you know, how many people showed up today? And we're always kind of measuring our life by how well we're doing according to our story. So I think there are some American Christians that have kind of taken this exiled approach. Like, I, it's dirty, it's ugly, it's nasty out there, and so I'm just going to completely stay away from that area of my life. As I've shown today, I, I believe that we're called to this. It's a, it's a stewardship principle, just as Pastor mentioned, and it's not something we should just withdraw from. But I think there's another story being told about Christian citizenship, and it's that we're this embattled church. And we have to engage in the public square in an ever-desperate way, even jeopardizing biblical principles for short-term political gain. And if you come back to that, that principle, we are Christians first. That's not a biblical option. So if we're not supposed to be part of the exiled church, and we're not supposed to be part of the embattled church, then how should we do this? I believe we should be part of an engaged church. And what if, so we all have that vision of 2050, what happens to our citizenship. What if we built strong churches? And those churches made strong disciples, people who wholly follow the way of Jesus in every area of their lives. And what if those disciples who just so happen to be good citizens went out and impacted their zip code and what if by 2050 we could transform our cities, state, and nation through the power of the gospel? That's the engaged church. I can't get behind the exiled church. I can't get behind the embattled church. But I can give this particular area of my life, my calling, my gifts, pouring it into following Jesus in this particular way. And I encourage you not to join me, but to join what Paul has said, what Jesus has said, as we live out our faith in this particular time. I always try to sum up what I say with just kind of one statement. And I love this particular statement made by Daniel Webster. 
who was a Christian statesman in the 1800s, he said this, whatever makes men and women good Christians makes them good citizens. And so let's exercise a citizenship that's worthy of the gospel. This time I'm going to ask pastor to come up for response time. I'm going to leave you with just one question, though. What is your next step in following Jesus in this area of your life? What's your next step? You've heard the steps. How can you take this and apply it in your life today?